0: It's rare to hear from Seahawks general manager John Schneider after the draft, but luckily for reporters, he decided to speak up here heading into week one. What did Schneider have to say? We're going to be breaking it all down with key takeaways from his week one press conference here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks.
1: You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast.
0: Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Your Daily Seahawks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, Your Team Every Day. Glad to be joined here on Labor Day by My Coast in Crime. Rob rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Whether you're listening nearby in Maple Valley, Washington, or overseas in Cairo, Egypt, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It is officially week one. In the 2023 NFL season, the Seahawks and the Rams will be duking it out at Lumen Field coming up in less than a week on Sunday afternoon. So preparation is full steam ahead. And we even got to hear from John Schneider today, a rare post-draft appearance at the podium. So we'll be breaking down some takeaways on that front, answering your questions a Labor Day. Monday mailbag, and we'll be dishing out some predictions for the Seahawks on the offensive side of the football as we head into the 2023 season. Without further ado, let's get to your lead story here on our Labor Day edition of Locked On Seahawks. Normally, John Schneider is not one to take the podium and answer questions away from the combine or during draft season. But that changed today. He actually spoke with reporters at the VMAC prior to their Labor Day practice, offered up some thoughts on a number of different topics. And Rob, we'll touch on several things here in the next few minutes. But I think the thing that we need to talk about the most here. You were discussing last week why you thought it was beneficial for Seattle to wait till the very last minute to reveal all of their cuts going from 90 to 53 players. And I thought Schneider provided some pretty interesting intel on why that may be the case and the fact that there are a lot of other teams out there that are playing that same strategy.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's virtually every team in, in the NFL is, is trying to, uh, you know, get the best players that they can, of course. And I think that by waiting um, as long as Seattle did, it allowed them to kind of reset their board. It's kind of interesting that, that John Schneider is having this, uh, you know, uh, this appearance right here before the season, as you noted, um, it's pretty rare for him to do so, um, you know, except for after the draft. And that is where I think that, that Schneider and his scouts really excel. We've talked about this so many times before, but again, when you are, have the ability to kind of reset your board with the players that have been released and who do you think that these different clubs are going to be putting on their practice squads, it really puts you in a better position to determine who you're going to. To cut who you're going to leave out there, and one of the things that he noticed is that, uh, or that he said that he noticed is that throughout the NFL there has been some interesting strategy by some of the other clubs out there, and really focusing in on the offensive and defensive lines. And I can tell you that you know in my work with the BC Lions, and we're trying to watch all the players that get released from the NFL. I certainly have noticed that as well. If you are a legitimate offensive lineman in the NFL, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to filter down into the XFL, the USFL, or the CFL, because other NFL teams are going to be trying to take those players as well. So the fact that, to me, one of the bigger news pieces of John Shire's commentary today was the fact that Derek Young did wind up going to Philadelphia, having a, a groin surgery, and that led to a bunch of different ripple effects that is going to lead to one player in particular, Ben Brown, a, an offensive lineman from Cincinnati, uh, that, that wound up getting signed by Seattle's practice the squad in a sense has been moved up. And to me, that is the type of player that the Seahawks were looking for because he does have positional versatility. This is a 40 game starter in the SEC in the yep. past. So again, I think that Seattle, by waiting as long as they did, put themselves in a better position to basically poach some of these players. They're going to be able to help this team immediately.
0: As you mentioned, the most interesting part of that response in my mind was how the expanded practice squad has ultimately impacted the way that teams are building their 53-man rosters. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Seattle's done this in the past where they've had four receivers on their initial 53-man roster, and they've just cut a bunch of guys to sign four or five of them to their practice squad. They can just stash a bunch of them because teams are not sweeping in to try to sign receivers. It's a saturated position. The opposite can be said about offensive and defensive line play. As you astutely mentioned, if you can play, on either side of the football that trenches, there's going to be a spot for you in the NFL because there are not near as many of those 330 pound DTs roaming the world as there are with the proliferation of seven on seven receivers are dime a dozen, but you are going to be hard pressed to find those big body guys go out to watch Friday high school football games and tell me how many of those players you see. There's not very many of them for colleges to even look at. So I understand where he's coming from there and teams are stockpiling 10, 11 offensive linemen or they're stockpiling a large number of defensive linemen on their initial 53 because second cutdowns, you're much less likely to lose players on waivers because other teams are trying to get down to 53 players. So there is a strategy to that. And as you mentioned, Derrick Young underwent surgery, so that was another big news piece today that really wasn't surprising. Pete Carroll hinted at that a couple of weeks ago when he had to sit down after returning to practice playing the second preseason game The hip groin injury was still bothering him, so he goes to Philadelphia, undergoes surgery last week, and so that will create some interesting dynamics on who gets promoted from the practice squad for this game coming up against the Rams. I would bet there's going to be at least one receiver that's called up from the practice squad, especially if JSN is not quite ready, though he practiced again today. He was out there in a helmet, so the Seahawks Look to have their first round pick potentially available. Both of them, maybe. Devin Witherspoon was out there practicing in a helmet today, or at least a couple minutes that media members were able to look at practice before they were sent back inside. We don't know how much he actually practiced, but he was in a helmet. So was Daryl Taylor. A lot of positive developments. And I want to just touch on something that John Schneider said with Devin Witherspoon, because I think it's timely when you consider the fact that he's been out since August 7th, but he was practicing with a helmet on, he was in their stretch lines. Who knows how much he actually participated in today, but he has gradually been adding to his workload the last few weeks since he started doing walkthroughs. And as John Schneider was saying, they're probably going to have to govern over him a little bit because this is a guy that is going to be chomping at the bit, telling Pete Carroll, I'm ready to play on Sunday. And he did not completely rule him out last week on the radio. He made it sound like he was going to be a long shot, but if there's a guy that is going to be ready to play, as a rookie without playing any preseason games, a unanimous All-American that has played everywhere in the secondary might be the one that can pull it off, especially somebody as uber competitive as Witherspoon. So they got to protect him from himself to an extent.
1: I think they absolutely do, and I would not be surprised at all to see the Seahawks kind of slow play this a little bit, and, and frankly, just see what's going on with the LA Rams, see if Cooper Cup is going to play, because I think that was one of the biggest reasons why Seattle made that selection, number five overall, Devin well, one, As we talked about before, personally, I think that uh, the Rams are an opponent, and you never want to overlook anybody in the NFL. Um, you know, certainly a divisional opponent, um, but at the same time, I do think that the Rams are a beatable team. Where the Detroit Lions in Week Two, I. Think is a little bit more of a challenge, and I think that that's something that you would love to have Devin Witherspoon 100% and raring to go uh, when they go back to Big Ten country here in a couple of weeks. So to me, that's a that's a big storyline here. You mentioned Daryl Taylor being at least in a helmet. uh, You know, Devin Bush being at least in a helmet, and there's some very encouraging signs here. Of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba um, being in a helmet, and so again, to me, there are some very encouraging signs here that kind of just again, show Seattle's history, Seattle's patience, Seattle's understanding of this process. Keep your star players in bubble wrap until things get real, which they are about to do here, as you said, in less than a week.
0: And you just mentioned three of the five names you talked about are first and second year players. Seattle's got over 40% of their roster consisting of rookies and second year players. Now, Derek Young is not going to be on the roster now, For at least the next four weeks, he's on injured reserve short-term designation, but still you're hovering in that 40% range. And John Schneider made it clear. This is the other thing that jumped out to me. There's not a target for them in terms of how many players they want that are first, second, third-year players, but they are going to be looking for as many of those young talents as they can Because of the salary cap, you want these rookies and sophomores that are on rookie contracts, especially the day two, day three guys, so that you can have more powder in your keg, so to speak. I believe that's what John Schneider said today that he learned from the great... Uh, Ted Thompson during his time in Green Bay you want to have some cap space available to you as the season goes on so that if you do make a move or if you have some injuries at a position that you can afford to do that and so it's part it's a main part of their roster building process and of course Pete Carroll wants those young guys because he really enjoys the coaching aspect And. That's the college background from him as well. But not really a surprise, but it was something that I thought was really interesting. It's not a target, but yeah, that's really where we'd like to be because it's cheaper. And we've got these guys under rookie contracts for several seasons. It really does help with your roster building process. Coming up next, we are going to tackle your questions here on a Labor Day mailbag Seahawks and NFL related questions. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought you way by our friends at eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy football host Vinnie Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster with draft prep underway for the upcoming season. Let's see who Vinnie has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit fantasy picks of the week if you need an undervalued running back to help give your fantasy team a smoother ride in 2023 look to bill's second year man james cook cook will have key receiving role in the offense but can earn more touches than that because of his his explosive ability versus older injury prone damian harris Dalvin's brother also plays in a high-scoring offense where there will be plenty of pleasing big play chances. With eBay Guaranteed Fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle, right at your fingertips, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternators, shock struts, you name it, eBay Motors has it, and they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because eBay Guaranteed Fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. Go for it, switch gears, crank the AC, and say goodbye to sweating it out if your ride needs a little fixing up. Because now you know you'll always be set for success from the get-go with eBay Guaranteed Fit. Everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle, just look for the green check. Get the right part, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit. Only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions. apply. You're listening to the Labor Day edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For those of you tuning into the show, make sure to check out the Locked on Ultimate NFL Season Preview. Seven episodes bringing opinions, analysis, and plenty of debate from all 32 of our Locked on NFL hosts with added insights. From our national experts, it's a can't-miss series before the season kicks off. Catch every episode on In NFL on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. All right, it's time for a Labor Day mailbag. Plenty of fans chiming in on social media, on YouTube. We got tons of questions to get to. Rob, let's get to it. Our first one here in our Monday mailbag. Coming from Tim52748530, he's got more numbers on there than I've got digits in my name. Do you see a possibility to trade for Chris Jones? What would be the compensation?
1: I, I certainly think it's a possibility. John Schneider even talked about, it, not specifically with Chris Jones, but today during uh, you know the press conference after practice, kind of you know mentioned the possibility that the Seattle is always looking for uh, you know improvement, especially along the defensive line. Um, so I, I do think that there's a possibility. I think it's very unlikely. I think you're talking about first round pick, maybe uh, you know the extra third round pick that Seattle acquired a year ago in, in the, the the trade down the draft. That, again, Schneider and Pete Carroll both kind of talked about how after they made that move that that was a big deal I think it's a big deal for opportunities just like this uh, it's not that I think that Seattle is going to be able to get Chris Jones not that, I think that they're going to be able to get a Nick Bosa or Aaron Donald should should he become available but it does give you a lot more flexibility and I do think that the Seahawks are prime for a long postseason run when you start to see some of the other clubs in this division that have some chinks in their armor so to speak Seattle meanwhile it feels like they're getting healthier and they're kind of ready to go so i do think that uh that it is a storyline worth keeping an eye on as we move forward our next question here coming
0: from db hawks 19 on twitter do you think Derek young will be the only guy on injured reserve if so that seems like a good sign for cam young and mike morris so at this point db hawks 19 i do think this is a really good sign for those two players at least from the perspective that the Seahawks don't expect that they're going to miss more than a game or two. If they thought that they were in danger to miss four games, I think they would have put them on injured reserve today, just as they did Derek Young. And one of the reasons that that's the case tomorrow guaranteed money kicks in for players that are on the roster. So I would think if they were going to make a move on that front with either one of these players that they would have done it. So I don't know if that means that either one of them plays in week one, Cameron Young has been practicing Mike Morris has not been, so it might be a case where one plays right off the bat and the other one has to wait a few weeks, but the fact neither one of them ended up on injury reserve I think is a positive sign for their prognosis coming back from calf and shoulder injuries, respectively. Our next question here for Rob coming from Retcon Gaming on YouTube. Do you think the Seahawks have a legitimate chance of taking the division for the 49ers, and when do you think their Super Bowl window will be, if not now?
1: I, again, I, I do think that things are progressing the way that Seattle hoped um, and so that they do have a legitimate chance of uh, taking away the division from the 49ers. And that is a departure from what I felt, say, a month ago. I think yeah. that Nick Bosa is that important to the 49ers. And, uh, I mean, I think from a San Francisco perspective, I think that they feel very, very good, of course, about the recovery from Brock Purdy. Uh, you know, the 49ers are a loaded team. I still think that they should be the favorite in the NFC West division. But I think that Seattle, uh, you know, is right there with them. And uh, I, I'm excited about the opportunity to play them because I really think that Seattle again is better, more physical along the line of scrimmage than I gave them credit for being. And I certainly am encouraged by their relative health at this point. Next question from Ryan ball,
0: 2754 on YouTube, which rookie or second year player do you think would hurt the team the most if we lose him, this is a really interesting question because I think you could make arguments for a number of players from last year's class. You could make some arguments with some players from this year's class that they're expecting to be immediate contributors. But to me, this is actually a pretty easy answer. Charles Cross, I'm scared to death of the idea if he went down with a significant injury with Stone Forsyth and Jay Curhan being the two backups available on your roster. If either one of those guys has to start a game or two, I have enough confidence they can do that. But if you have to plug one of those guys in long-term to replace your blindside protector, I think there would be a massive drop-off compared to any of the other key players in either one of these draft classes. So to me, Charles Cross would be a player that would easily be number one. And then there'd be some other solid guys like Rick Woolen would be a big loss, but this is a loaded secondary. They would have guys to offset it. I would worry about the depth at tackle if either one of those guys went down particularly Charles Cross at left tackle.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I, I think that just the depth at every other position is is good enough that you'd be able to get by. And it's not that I really think that Stone Forsythe is, uh, you know is terrible i just think that charles cross is that good and stone forsyth is a you know a stop gap kind of a of a player like the like what you'd see with most teams around the nfl again it's one of the things that john schneider talked about just nfl teams are trying to keep every good uh, able-bodied big man they possibly can because the drop off between starters to backups in this league is significant Next question here for Rob coming from CB2393. PFF has the Seahawks O-line
0: ranked 30th going into the season. Would you say that's too low?
1: <laughs> I certainly would. I, I find that kind of comical, to be honest with you. As we just discussed, uh, you know, I really think that Seattle has the two very good young offensive tackles. I've been encouraged by what I saw from the interior, their offensive line as well, and how they have gelled throughout the preseason and training camp 30th yeah, I think that that's a joke, frankly.
0: Next question, Max CG2CI on YouTube. Will we ever see Kobe play cornerback? Is he just going to be nickel safety moving forward? Was moving him to that position always the plan for the former Thorpe Award winner? I don't think it was always the plan. I think that when training camp opened last year, when he was a rookie, he was playing at the boundary corner position, but. They suddenly had a need in the slot and they wanted to get him an opportunity to try to win playing time. And he was able to do that. He was able to beat out Justin Coleman for those reps and played pretty well for most of his rookie season. And now they're trying to find him another spot that he can play at safety. And it's such a loaded secondary, a guy like Kobe Bryant, as competitive as he is, He's going to want to play any of those positions if it's going to help him get on the field, even in nickel and dime packages. So, no, I don't think that this was just a preordained thing where they're like, no, he's going to be a slot corner when they drafted him. And he played like 30 snaps in the slot his entire college career. You didn't have much film to work off of. But – you had reek woolen you had mike jackson you got trey brown back now you drafted devin witherspoon Uh, there's a lot of talent in that secondary so they're just trying to find the best place that he can fit in and i it's obvious that they don't feel like the boundary corner position is where he's best suited with the other players they have with the personnel that they currently have one more question here for rob from gavin ellersick do you have concerns with devin witherspoon whenever he comes back, being able to perform well with limited game or even NFL action at that? We do know that he missed all the preseason, Rob, which is always a big deal with rookies, but is it not as big of a deal with a guy that is this talented?
1: correct I, I don't think it's nearly as big of a deal because Devin Witherspoon's talent is that obscene I mean I, you just watch him on tape Corbin I was, I was watching tape of Illinois players for this upcoming season and I still kind of you, you just kind of start to watch number 31 out there because he just kind of steals your attention he's so physical he's so instinctive sure you do have some concerns because this is a relatively undersized player who plays so physically that there's always a possibility of getting hurt but in in terms of talent, in terms of playmaking ability, I assure you Seahawk fans that when Devin Witherspoon gets onto the field, you will notice him. The opponents are going to notice him. He is going to be a baller for Seattle.
0: Yeah, me personally, I don't have many reservations because the practices I did get to see him out there, I got to see him pop a couple dudes to the point where I was wondering if the coaches were going to pull him off to the sideline bring that to the regular season. But right now, you, these are your teammates. Like this guy is a headhunter, like not literally looking to blow up heads, but he's a hard hitter. This guy is looking to get after it, blasting people. He wants to play. And I think his greatest asset is his instincts. And guys like that, you can just throw them in and they can play football. And that's what this kid does. So I am confident he's healthy and he has a good week of practice. That Pete Carroll, maybe that long shot he was talking about ends up coming true and he plays against the Rams. We will see what ends up happening on that front. Coming up next, speaking of the 2023 season, it's week one. So we got to dish out our annual projections, our predictions on the offensive side of the football. Rob and I will be dishing out several for Seattle's high-powered offense heading into the season coming up next year on our Labor Day edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Football season kicks off on Thursday. There's no better way to get into the action than with Underdog Fantasy and their pick em game. Just pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually spend kickoff night doing, watching the game. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five, it's a fantasy game, but you can win real money. It's legal in over 30 states and it's a ton of fun. If you want to build your dream team today, head over to their easy to use mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com, when you sign up with the promo code locked on. And not only will Underdog double your first deposit up to 100 bucks. But they will also have Pick'em Special Live now in their Pick'em lobby. Patrick Mahomes just has to get one yard for your pick to be correct. Remember, that's underdog fantasy. Sign up with the promo code Locked On. Use the link in the description or scan the QR code if you're watching us on YouTube. You're listening to the Labor Day edition of Locked On Seahawks is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined here on the holiday by my co-host crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for listening to Locked On Seahawks five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It is regular season time. We got a big game coming up, the season opener against the Rams on Sunday, which means, Rob, it is time for us to dish out our annual 2023 predictions. We are going to start today on the offensive side of the football, and some of these maybe they'll be on the bold side of the spectrum, and some of them maybe won't be, but we are going to be dishing out three predictions apiece looking at this high-octane offense. What we expect, what we're predicting is going to happen this upcoming season. I'm going to give you the mic here first, and I'm sure you're going to be talking about a certain reigning comeback player of the year here first.
1: Yeah, and that's where I want to kind of start off with here is with Juno Smith. And uh, as you said, uh, you know, this is the season is, of course, upon us, and it's also fantasy football season. So that's why we thought, hey, let's start off here with the offensive side. And and again, a, a dynamic juggernaut of an offense, you know. Corbin that Geno Smith won the the comeback player of the year a, a season ago. he He throws thirty touchdowns. He throws, you know, Almost seventy percent completion rate, which is of course historic as well. Uh, you know, against just eleven interceptions, and I think that he is going to duplicate those numbers, if not exceed them. Um, as I mentioned just a moment ago, I really think that Seattle has the offensive line established to be able to help him be that successful. And I, what everything I saw in training camp, everything I saw in preseason, is that the accuracy, the the, the kind of chip on your shoulder mentality, it remains there with Geno Smith. And of course, we know that he has the very talented pass catchers out there as well. So that's my first bold prediction here is that Geno Smith, he's going to write back at you. And he's going to do the exact same thing he did last year. You talked about the people protecting
0: Geno Smith. And this is my first prediction heading into this season. Charles Cross will trim QB pressures allowed by at least 40%. That That is a significant jump. But you also have to look at the stats last year. Robbie gave up almost 60 quarterback pressures, according to pro football focus, which that is not very good. There were a number of games early in the season where he gave up four or five pressures in a single game and you're a rookie that's going to happen. And you're some of the guys that they face in this division, the Nick Boses of the world, you are going to have some rough outings, particularly when you're a rookie thrown in the fire. But I was so encouraged by what I saw late last year, especially in that playoff game against the aforementioned Nick Bosa, where I thought that he was one of the best players on the field in that game. Even though Seahawks ended up getting blown out in the second half. It wasn't because of Charles Cross. I thought he held his own against the 49ers' outstanding defensive front, and I've been pleased by what I've seen. I know he gave up a sack in one of the preseason games, but... I wouldn't worry about that. It's one snap. I've been impressed with what I've seen in training camp practices, and he just looks like he added that little bit of muscle he needed. He looks more stout at the point of attack. So I'm excited to see what Charles Cross can do this year.
1: Oh, I, I certainly am as well. And, of course, as we just said, have been talking about, Nick Bosa is not currently a member of the San Francisco 49ers, at least not on the field. So that ease his, his transition uh, in, in year two that much, nice, not much better as well. Right. As, as, as I say, as far as my second uh, bold prediction here, I, I'm going to switch to the wide receiver position. That's Jackson Smith and Jigbo. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, I think that Geno Smith is going to duplicate his numbers a year ago. One of the biggest reasons why is because I think that he is going to have a dynamic slot presence here in JSN. Now, I, I don't want to be talking to, uh, you know, both ways out of my mouth here. I, I was not quite as high on JSN a month before the draft as a lot of folks were. I, I was very concerned about the fact that he did not play much this past season, Strugg- you know, struggled with injury. Uh, and so that's, I was very encouraged by the fact that he has been able to apparently bounce back from the hand surgery, wrist surgery that he just uh, overcame for the Seahawks. And the one of the reasons why I really think that he is going to be able to come in and make a splashy performance is, We know about his route running acumen. We know about the lateral quickness. We know about the soft hands, all of that. To me, one of the biggest things here, one of the weaknesses I saw in the Seahawks a year ago was how much they focused in on DK Metcalf when they got into the red zone. There was only two players in all of the NFL, Travis Kelsey and Justin Jefferson, who saw more red zone targets than DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf had 27 targets. He only caught eight of them a year ago in the red zone. Tyler Lockett had eight targets. He caught... Five of them. Noah Fan had eight targets. He caught six of them. It was very one-sided there. I think that the Seahawks recognize this is an area of concern. They needed to get a dynamic third set of hands there. That to me is where JSN can absolutely explode. I think he's going to get a bunch of touchdowns this year. I think it's going to be very similar to what Tariq Woolen did a year ago on the defensive side of the ball. Lots of big plays are going to create some some rookie of the year type of a buzz. I, in fact, I'm so confident. I think the JSN is going to get a touchdown in week one against the LA Rams. There's a lot of talk that he's not even going to play. He is going to play. He is going to score a touchdown. I just don't know that he's going to be consistent enough down the stretch to actually win the award, but I do feel confident that he is going to be right there with Metcalf and Lockett as far as number of touchdowns that he scores this season. All we've talked
0: about to this point is the passing game, and I know it's a passing league now, but we got to get some running back talk in here. Two second-round picks, back-to-back years, A runner-up for the Offensive Rookie of the Year last year, Ken Walker III. Now you got Zach Charbonnet behind him, a nice complimentary piece, more of a battering ram between the tackles. So some might think this is bold. I don't think it's bold at all. I think with the improved offensive line, Ken Walker III and Zach Charbonnet, combined for 1,600 rushing yards and 15 touchdowns. I'm going to lean towards Ken Walker III being the guy that's going to get the majority of the rushing yards. I still think 1,100 yards or so on the ground, but I think Charbonnet is going to be the one that has the advantage because of his goal line power and short yardage power to get the touchdown advantage here. But combined I think this is going to be one of the most fun backfield duos in the NFL. And again, I keep pointing it out, that improved offensive line. I liked what I saw from Evan Brown, punishing guys in the limited snaps he had. That one block he had on Mozzie Smith, the reach block to seal him, and Spring Charbonnet for a 29-yard run in the preseason. If we're seeing plays like that, and that's a really good player in Mozzie Smith. If we're seeing plays like that, Phil Haynes had a couple nice blocks. If those two positions are better as we expect, especially in the ground game, these running backs are going to feast. So I think a big year coming for K-9 and Charbonnet.
1: No, I 100% agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I I think that if I've been running or if I've been using the running back uh, projection here, I think I'm actually gone even higher. I, I really think that this duo is going to be spectacular for the Seahawks. And that is actually the biggest concern I have for, for why my, uh, you know, projection that Geno Smith is going to duplicate his numbers. I, I think the Seattle's, uh running game might be able to steal some of those numbers, and maybe that's why he is unable to throw up, say, 30 touchdowns this upcoming season. But I love the fact that you mentioned the offensive line there, and specifically Evan Brown. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit throughout the preseason, that perhaps the rookie Olu Oluwatimi might be able to push Evan Brown for the starting role. And, and I would love to see that come to fruition because obviously he's on a four-year contract, whereas Evan Brown's only on a one-year deal. I have been kind of passionate in the table for years now. The Seahawks have to get younger, they gotta get bigger, they get more physical at the point of attack, specifically at the center position. But my bold prediction here is that Evan Brown is gonna be Seattle starter the entire regular season, and quite possibly, if things go the way I expect, into the postseason as well. I think that he is just the more Savvy, more reliable player at this point. And unless there is an injury, unless he really struggles at this point, I just see uh, very unlikely that that Seattle would change the rotation that they currently have. Why mess with a good thing uh, to play a younger player unless Evan Brown, again, struggles um, or has some type of injury? I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that Seattle knows his faults at this point. He's going to get beat sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But to make that type of a switch, Midpoint of the season, I just don't see that being very likely. So my bold prediction here is that Evan Brown is Seattle starter for all 17 games this year, and if he does so, I would not be surprised at all if he becomes one of their priorities to resign the off as well.
0: We've been throwing out a lot of gaudy numbers here for these predictions, but I'm going to finish with one where I am really tempering my expectations, and this isn't going to be something new for those of you that regularly listen to the podcast. And it's not because I don't think the Seahawks have talent at tight end. I think they have one of the best trios of tight ends in the NFL in terms of the complete package. All three of these guys made strides as blockers last year. And we know the ability of Noah Fant downfield as a vertical threat, what Kobe Parkinson can do at his size. But we talked about the three receivers the Seahawks have. We've talked about the running game. Expected to be a lot more potent this year behind a better offensive line. At some point, you gotta say, okay, if all this is going on, then somebody that had good numbers last year is gonna be hurting this season. And for me, I, I think it's the tight ends. I don't expect a single tight end of Seattle's roster to finish with more than 40 receptions. I do think, however, that all three of their tight ends get at least three touchdowns. So my argument here is that the volume is not going to be there. These guys are just not going to get near as many opportunities because there's only one football in the field. They're going to have a better run game. You've got three outstanding receivers. Your running backs to catch the ball. I just think it's going to be hard to get these guys many touches in the passing game until they are in the red zone. Jackson Smith and Jigma being added to this mix might actually help the tight ends become even more involved because now defenses have to worry about three stud receivers. Now Kobe Parkinson sneaks back in the end zone, six, seven target, boom, touchdown. I think all three of the guys are going to have some success finding the end zone. I just don't expect to see very many receptions because there's only one football to go around. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have our first Tell the Truth Tuesday of the regular season, but it's going to be switched up a little bit. We're going to actually be looking at what happened in the matchups against the Rams a year ago, and maybe the year before when they were a healthier football team as well. And we'll be taking an extended look at the scheme for the Rams on offensive defense as we start to plug away at this season opener. You won't want to miss. It's going to be a jam-packed episode. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Labor Day. Go Hawks.